Good morning. Today is Monday, September 19, 2022. There's a line in the Talmud, Masech de Brachos, Amar of Hamnuna, Rabbi Hamnuna teaches, how many basic fundamental rules about how we pray do we derive from the story of Chana? The story of Chana is the narrative that we read as the Haftorah on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And the reason that we choose that narrative is because we on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur approach God with prayer. And this is the passage that teaches us how to pray. So this is the passage we want to use. Chana was a woman who was not able to have a child. And she came to the Mishkan in Shiloh. <clears throat> Eli was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest at that time. And she prayed for a child. And ultimately, her prayer was granted. And she gave birth ultimately to a baby boy who was named Shmuel, who grew up to be Shmuel Hanafi, the prophet Shmuel, the prophet Samuel. And so we use her prayer as a model for how we pray. And many of the rules of how, many of the guidelines of how we say, especially the Amidah, the standing prayer, the Shemona Esrei, we derive from Chana's prayer. We imitate Chana's prayer. But the question is, why this prayer? I mean, there are lots of other prayers in the Torah. <clears throat> there are lots of other people under dramatic circumstances who pray with great sincerity and fervor. Why is this the prayer that becomes the paradigm that we are required to reenact every time we pray? <clears throat> Excuse me. So there are several answers to this question. I want to share with you one of them this morning. Start with a different topic. There's a fascinating subject in the Talmud. It's a little bit of a technical issue, but underlying it is a very inspiring message. Talmud says as follows. Let's say there are two synagogues in town, one closer to where you are, one further from where you are. Says the Talmud, if you travel to the one which is further from you, you receive a reward for the journey even if you could have prayed more conveniently at a synagogue closer to your home. Okay, that's what the Talmud says. So, on this statement of the Talmud, the Maharal, Rabbi Yehuda Lowy, asks the following question. We generally assume that there are two parts to performing any mitzvah. There's the mitzvah itself, the deed, the action, and there's the preparation for the mitzvah, which we refer to as Hechsher mitzvah, preparation for the mitzvah. For example, there's a mitzvah to eat matzah on Pesach. That's the mitzvah, the action of eating the matzah. Before Pesach, if you go to the store to purchase your matzah, that is also a mitzvah. That is a hechsher mitzvah. It is preparing to be able to fulfill the mitzvah when the time comes. So there is preparation and there's the actual mitzvah and both of them are good deeds. Both of them are mitzvahs. That would seem to be analogous 
to walking to shul. If you're walking to the synagogue, that is the hechsher mitzvah, it's the preparation for praying with the congregation. You can't pray with the congregation if you're at home, so you have to prepare to walk to the synagogue. So the walking to the synagogue is the hechsher mitzvah of prayer. But if that's the case, then let's go back to our original statement. The lesson of the two synagogues. The Maral asks the following question. Why should I be rewarded more for traveling to a further synagogue? There's no analogous teaching that if I shop at a grocery store for matzah that's further away from my house that I get a bigger mitzvah of preparing for Pesach. Walking to the synagogue is the preparation. Why should the preparation be rewarded if there is more effort or distance that goes into it? So, I want to share with you the answer of the Maral, but as it is explained by Rav Yitzchak Hutner. And that's as follows. Walking to the synagogue is not a heksher mitzvah. It is not the preparation for being able to pray with the congregation. Walking to the synagogue is an actual part of prayer. When we begin the Amidah prayer, the Shemon Asrei, and we take three steps forward, those three steps forward as we understand we are coming into the direct presence of God, speaking directly to God, those three steps are only the end of the journey we began earlier at home. We are doing with our feet what in prayer we do with our heart and our lips. We are moving closer to God. And the more we do of that, the better. Chana's prayer is unique among all of the prayers mentioned in the Torah because it begins with a journey. As the narrative tells us that we read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, it begins in a village called Romosayim Tsofim. That's the village where Chana and her husband Elkanah and their family lived. It's in the southern part of Israel. It's in the province of Ephraim. And the narrative begins where they travel to Shiloh. The prayer starts at home. And then they start walking on the road northward to the town of Shiloh where the Mishkan was located at that time. And then the words that Chana utters in the presence of Eli, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, those words are only the conclusion of the prayer that began when Chana left her home. So that walking to the synagogue is not preparing for prayer, it is prayer, because the essence of prayer is moving towards God. Moving towards God with our feet 
and then moving towards God with our lips and with our heart. And that is what every one of us must remember every time we begin to pray. The reason that we invoke and imitate Hannah's prayer is to remind ourselves that prayer is a journey toward God. And that means that we end up at the end of our prayer in a new place from where we began. We imitate Hana in prayer to remind ourselves that we too should be traveling. And listen, please, to how dramatically the prophet Jeremiah, Yermio Hanavi, expresses this in describing the redemption and the ingathering of the exile and the reestablishment of a relationship with God based on peace and closeness and hope. Yermio Hanavi says, Ukurasem osi vahalachtem, and you will call out to me and come to me, travel to me, vihispalaltem elai, to pray to me, vishamati alechem, and I will listen to you, God says. Ubikashtem osi umatsasem, and you will seek me and you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, all your might. <clears throat> I heard this story from Rabbi David Weinberger. Long ago in Poland, there were two friends, and they had not seen each other in many years. One became a successful businessman, and the other became a rabbi. And this rabbi was known for his scholarship and his spirituality. And one day, they met each other after many years apart, when the businessman happened to come to the shul, the synagogue of this rabbi. And he noticed that this rabbi, his friend from years and years ago, that this rabbi prayed very slowly, saying each word carefully, with uncommon feeling and emotion. So this businessman asked his friend, who he was seeing for the first time in so many years, why is it that your prayer takes so long? We were both raised and educated together. I also tried to pray carefully, but your prayer takes so much longer than mine. Why is that? So the rabbi says to him, <clears throat> my friend, you're a businessman, right? Yes. How do you do your business? So the man says, well, twice a year I go to Leipzig. That was the big town, largest city in the region. And I buy merchandise. And then I bring it home and I sell it at a profit. So the rabbi asks his friend, but why do you go to Leipzig? Why don't you just sit at home and imagine that you're in Leipzig. Just imagine it in your mind's eye. And imagine that you're bringing the merchandise home, and then you'll sell it, and you won't have to waste all that time traveling to and from Leipzig. 
The businessman said to him, are you crazy? What good does it do to imagine that I'm going to Leipzig? I have to actually go there. And the rabbi said, of course I understand. You see, when I pray, I don't just imagine I am traveling closer to God. I go there. I go to Leipzig. And that takes longer. Okay, but the fundamental question is, how does it work? Why does God answer prayers? For example, <clears throat> someone is sick, God forbid, and they pray to God to be healed, why should it help? If God decides that a person should get well, they should recover even without prayer. And if God decides that they should not cover, recover, God forbid, why would he change the outcome because of a prayer? So this is a fundamental question, and there are several different approaches to answer this question. Allow me to share with you the answer of Rabbi Yosef Albo, one of the classic medieval philosophers. Rav Yosef Albo answers that because through prayer, I become a different person. The decree of illness was against someone else, someone who was further from God. But I have brought myself closer to God through prayer. I am now in a different place. I have moved myself. I have transformed myself through my prayer, through my contact with God, and I am now someone else, entitled, perhaps, to a different outcome. Now, of course, sometimes, sadly, the answer to our prayer is no. And that answer can be no, even if our prayer is perfect. But how can you tell if you have prayed effectively, if you have really prayed? The way you tell is, do you feel you are different when you finish? If we're honest, we will recognize that we have a problem with prayer today. Too many of us, too often. And we try, hopefully we try to address that problem in various ways, but very often we miss the point. Rabbi Saul Berman wrote an article a number of years ago, and he illustrates that the point of the problem is that we have become distant from God. He writes, So having alienated God from our work and our problems, from our risks and our accidents, it is any wonder that people sit for three hours in synagogue on Shabbos morning with nothing to talk about with God? Prayer feels like a forced conversation with a distant uncle trying to elicit fragments of ancient family history, yet grateful for any possible interpretation. Rabbi Yisrael Miller tells of a husband and wife who are driving, and the husband has his hands on the steering wheel. 
And his wife says to him, I remember 25 years ago when we used to drive, we sat much closer to each other. Why are we so far apart now? And her husband, with his hands on the steering wheel, answers, I haven't moved. I'm not sure that's a good answer to give to your spouse. But it does precisely describe our problem with prayer. We need to move. We need, in prayer, to come closer to God. Like Hannah, we need to begin a journey toward God, ending up in a different place from where we began. And that is the kind of prayer, as Yirmiyahu reminds us, where then God comes toward us. When we come closer to God through prayer, then I will look for you and you will find me. No more imagining. Let us all go to Leipzig. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.